looking at the whole chapter as we go along. Verse 1 says, And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer whom, though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after that, after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their mind and said that he was a god. He was a god. The title of the sermon this evening is this, just shake it off and keep on going. Just shake it off and keep on going. What a great principle to live by, isn't it? We all have our own versions of vipers that jump up and bite us. And uh, boy, uh, those un, uh, unplanned problems in life that seem to be deadly at times or uh, just earth shattering at times. And uh, we need to follow Paul's example here, just shake it off. And keep on going. Let's pray. Lord, thank you tonight for the Bible. Thank you that it is applicable. uh, And Lord, in so many ways. Lord, it's not a book that's a dead book uh, that uh, we use as just some religious mantra. Lord, no, it is is the the practical uh, medicine that gets us through each season of life. Uh, Lord, there are verses in it that are practical for us uh, day in and day out, situation in, situation out. And so, Lord, as we turn and look to yet one more story of Paul out of the book of Acts, help us to be challenged tonight. And however, Lord, you want to work in each of our hearts, Spirit of God, you move accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, single-mindedness is a great trait. Um, It is a trait that very few truly possess. The ability to lock in on a goal, uh, especially a godly goal, and become indifferent toward anything else or anyone else that stands in the way of that goal is greatly lacking. Greatly lacking. Single-mindedness. Sometimes we let life get too complicated. We let life become um, a mess because we we forget to just simplify, lay those goals out in front of us, and prioritize and cut away anything and anyone that's going to keep us from getting to that goal. Single-mindedness. Single-mindedness. James chapter 1, verse 8 reminds us that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Unstable in all his ways. Uh, Many people know what they want in uh, marriage or parenting. They know what they want in employment. Uh, They know what they want in life. If you ask them to write it down on paper, they could, you give them uh, 15, 20 minutes and a piece of paper and a pen or an iPad and a notes app. They could uh, put down what they believe is to be the goal of their life, the goal of their Christian life, the goal of their parenting, the goal of their uh, marriage, uh, the goal, uh, the goals they have laid out before them, they could tell you, but if you were to look at the week to week, they're not living those things out. Why? Because uh, we lack single-mindedness. We lack focus on doing the main things, on making sure that we do the main things really, really, really well. Many people do not have a great marriage because they are not single-minded on the task at hand. They let the snakes of marriage problems limit them from marital greatness. Uh, uh, To the Christian couple here this evening, lock in on a great marriage, shake it off, and keep on going. Many teenagers do not live for Jesus. They know they should, but they, they let the snakes of peer pressure and fleshly appetites keep them from the goal of living for Jesus. It's time to shake it off and keep on going. Many Christians know they should be faithful to church. 
They know they should lock their eyes on a routine that gets them under the preaching of God's Word week in and week out. But they allow the snakes of a busy schedule and a hundred other excuses to latch on to them, uh, 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 latch on to their spiritual arm rather, and keep them from doing what they know is right. And I would say to every Christian uh, under the sound of my voice, whether you're watching on live stream or here tonight, it's time to shake it off and keep on going. Shake it off and keep on going. Briefly here we read uh, the story of Paul and uh, the crew shipwrecked there on the island of Malta. And uh, they're, they're gathering uh, wood to throw into a fire. Uh, they're all wet and cold and uh, it's been raining and uh, they're, they're cold and they're throwing wood onto the fire. And uh, uh, Paul is not content to just sit by the sideline and let everyone else build a fire. No, he's involved in building this fire. So he gathers sticks and comes over doing his part and he throws the the wood into the fire and what happens is a snake jumps up out of around where the fire is and latches on to his hand and he has a venomous beast a snake latched on his hand i can i just tell you right now i do not like snakes um i am not afraid of mice i'm not afraid of spiders any spiders i'm not in fact there are very few things that i'm afraid of uh, but if you put a snake on this platform right here, I'd be out that door, and you didn't know that this this boy could move that fast. All right, I'd be I'd be out of here. I do not do not do well with snakes. And some of you would laugh and come up here and take care of the snake and say, Pastor, you can come back in, and um, you'd pick on me for probably screaming like a girl on my way out the door. I do not. Do well with snakes. I do not do well with snakes. Do not play a practical joke with me uh, with a snake, or you might be finding a new pastor and having a funeral for me. Amen? I do not do well with snakes. Now, Paul here has a snake hop up and bite him on the hand. Uh, I That would have been the end of me, but not Paul. Um, uh, Paul just looks at this beast attached to his hand. He shakes it off into the fire, and he goes out to get another bundle of sticks as though it never happened. Listen, sometimes can I just tell you, you're going to be going about doing your thing, uh, being a good employee or a good employer, a good husband or wife, a good son or daughter, a good mom or dad. You're going to be going about doing uh, what you've been called to do, being a good Christian, serving in the church, and all of a sudden, the viper of a problem is going to hop up and bite you, and it's going to seem like the end of the world. Just shake it off and keep on going. Just shake it off and keep on going. Lock your eyes in on what God has called you to do. Do not be worried about uh, the metaphorical snake bite because God has a plan for your life. And until that plan is accomplished, nothing can stop you from accomplishing that plan. Paul was not worried about the, the snake bite because he, he had God's promise that he would stand before Caesar and testify. God had brought him through uh, uh, Jews that had kicked him in the ribs and the head and tried to kill him in the in the temple courtyard. He had uh, been taken through two years of sitting in a prison cell of Caesarea. Uh, he had been taken through uh, a, a, a Jew, Jewish leaders who had schemed to kill him and even taken a, a, a taken a vow to not eat anything until he was dead. He had gone through a shipwreck and and, and being at sea in storm and still had not died. He was not afraid about what a snake could do to him because God had a plan for his life. And until that plan was accomplished, he knew he was protected by God. Let me ask you this evening, are you single-minded? Are you single-minded? Do you have your eyes on the mark of the man or woman uh, 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 that God wants you to become? Do you have your eyes locked uh, on being the husband or wife or son or daughter or employee or employer that God wants you to become? Uh, Are you single-mindedly focused on what God wants you to be and wants you to do? Uh, God has a road. He wants you to walk both in your relationship with Him and in your relationship with others. Let me say that again. God has a very clear path. He wants you on with Him. Are you walking that path? Are you walking with God? Uh, is your relationship with God what it ought to be? Hey, First John, uh, the, the Apostle John words it this way. Are you walking in the light? 
Are, is your life out in the light? Or are, are you living in the shadows, in the darkness? Uh, uh, are you walking the path that God wants you to walk? Are you walking with others the way that God wants you to walk? Uh, men, are you being honest in your relationship with your wife? Uh, are you having to delete text messages and hide things and be private and, and, and skirt around the edges to make sure and hope that she doesn't catch you or find out about Fill in the blank. Ladies, are you being honest and forthright with your husbands in the way that you're living? Uh, does he know about your relationships and your friendships? Uh, we live in a day and age where we can get ourselves in trouble in so many different ways. And I'll just throw this out there. This is my opinion. I think social media, by and large, is a great waste of time. and gets a whole lot of people into a whole lot more trouble uh, than they should uh, get in and, and be in. And, 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 and marriages are split up because of social media. And, and people are fired over social media and people's careers are limited over social media and Christians get hurt because of social media and, and, and problems that spill over from school with children at home because of social media and, 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 and church members have schisms with each other over social media and, and, and I just uh, have to say that while there are plenty of good things that have come and, and will come out of social media, my friend, if we're not careful, we can let something like social media, distract us from keeping our eyes on the Lord and our eyes on the goal and doing what God has called us to do. Are you single-minded? Are you single-minded? Listen, uh, let God be true and every man a liar. I want my eyes locked on the Lord and I want to follow His plan for my life. You can join me and be a part of that and help me get there. What's the old adage? Lead follower, get out of the way, right? The last thing I want are people who are going to distract and, and detract and, and, and discourage me from being who God wants me to be. I don't want friends that are going to pull me away from being the husband that I ought to be to my wife. I don't want influences in my heart that are going to uh, distract me from being the father to my children that I ought to be. I, I don't want to hang around people that are going to uh, d- detour me and lead me astray from being the pastor that God's called me to be. Uh, listen, I don't want any influences in my life that are going to keep me from becoming the man of God that God wants me to be. One day when I stand before God, I want him to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. You are single-mindedly focused on what I had for you, and you stuck to it, and you crossed the finish line with joy. Boy, I've had my share of distractions. I've had my share of times where I was double-minded. I don't always get it right. I don't think any of us ever get it right. But boy, it ought to be our goal tonight that when the vipers of life leap onto us and and, and try to distract us and, and send us into emergency mode, we shake off those vipers and we keep on going with God's calling on our life. We're going to look at um, what looks like four thoughts this evening. Uh, and finish up the um, the book of Acts. Uh, yes, four thoughts. And uh, see how Paul uh, shook off all of the problems before him and kept on going. We, fought, we find Paul begin the chapter on the island. And then we, Paul finishes the chapter in captivity there in Rome, how, under house arrest in Rome. So let's join Paul in his journey as he makes it from this island where he shipwrecked on into Rome where He'll be in house arrest. And then we'll use some history books to try to finish out the narrative of Paul before we uh, move off of him and on to David next week. All right, number one, notice Paul's ministry at Malta. Paul's ministry at Malta. Let me give you an A, B, and a C here. Notice letter A, God's protection. We'll just spend a little bit of time here because we've already looked at this passage somewhat. But look at verse 1 of chapter 28. It says, And when they were escaped, uh, then they knew that the island was called uh, Melita. Now, Melita, Malta, same island, just all it comes down to translation. It's sort of like uh, Isaiah and Isaiah, uh, same person, different readings of the same name. And so Malta, island of Malta, island of Melita, same place. Verse 2, and the barbarous people. So these are people who are 
um, a little less civilized than, uh, say, the, the Romans were or the rest of the known world. These are island people, barbarous people, showed us no little kindness. That means they showed us a lot of kindness. They were very hospitable, for they kindled a fire and received us, everyone, because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom, though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast in the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit, they looked when he um, should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked for a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said, that he was a god. Now, they, at first they think, well, this guy's a murderer. And now they go, they, they swing the pendulum all the way to the direction, other direction and say, he should be dead. The fact that he's not means he is a god. He's someone that we should worship. And we'll see here shortly, they're not going to worship Paul. He's able to curb that. Uh, uh, just one verse to throw in here uh, to, to bring this home to me and you. Uh, this evening, uh, Philippians chapter one and verse six says, "Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ." Let me take a moment here and speak about um, uh, God's protection around us versus tempting fate. Um, do you know that if you are living within the will of God, He has angels that He puts around you. Nothing is going to happen to you until God is done with you and his purpose for you on this planet. Nothing, nothing. Um, uh, I have a handful of incidents, and I'll spare the stories tonight, but I have a handful of incidents in my life where I very easily could have died. And the only way to explain me not dying in those handful of incidences is there was divine intervention. God put his hand of protection around me. You say, well... Were you being reckless? In most cases, I was not. But looking back into my early 20s, there was a time or two where I probably was being a little reckless. I was not trying to kill myself. I had no intent of putting myself in harm's way. But um, nonetheless, a handful of times in my life, I probably should have died. And God intervened and put his hand of protection around me. Why? Because God had a purpose for my life. And he was not going to let me die until that purpose was fulfilled. Amen? Um, Paul here, God had laid out a very clear purpose for Paul's life. You will go to Rome and you will preach to Caesar. A, a venomous snake was not going to prevent... God is greater than the snake. You all with me tonight? The problems come into your life. We don't need to fear that which is out of our control when we have a God who puts his angels around us and guides us and, 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 and is going to continue to keep us in good health until he decides it's time to take us home. You understand that when you have someone die who is a child of God living for God, it is God's choice to bring them home to heaven at that time. There are no untimely deaths with God in heaven. None. Zero. God chooses when to take His servants home. You say, well, but, but, but is it God's will for me to commit suicide? And the answer is no, it is not God's will. And we can circumvent the plan of God for our lives. And we can end our lives early uh, uh, through uh, means of suicide or tempting fate. And God does not want us to tempt fate. You, remember, you may remember when uh, Lucifer took Jesus up on the pinnacle of the temple and said, throw yourself off because the angels will not let you dash your foot against a stone. And you remember what Jesus replied with, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. It is never a good idea for any Christian to walk around and just say, well, I can do whatever I want, wherever I want, whenever I want, because I'm God's child and I'm just going to expect him uh, to save me. No, 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 no. God gave you a brain between your ears. He expects you to use it. Amen? Uh, the kid who's going 120 miles an hour on a motorcycle down the interstate in the rain, uh, he doesn't say, well, I'm a child of God and I'm not going to die unless God wants me to die. No, you very well may die. You very well may die. And God may put his angels around you and protect you, but God may very well may just say, you know what, you're being foolish, I'm going to bring you on home to glory. 
We're not to tempt fate, but we're not to just shut our lives down and not live either because we're paralyzed by fear. Notice here that Paul is just simply gathering sticks and throwing them in the fire. He's being a responsible part of the party. He's doing his part, knowing there may be snakes around. He's not going to let that limit his service. The snake bites him, but God all the same protects him. Letter A, God's protection. Letter B, notice Paul's passion. Paul's passion. Look at verse number 7 of uh, chapter 28. The Bible says, In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island whose name was Publius. Now, that name Publius, uh, at least in the Roman ranks, would have been a title for a leader, right? So this would be similar to someone saying whose name was Pastor, speaking of me, uh, Publius was almost more of a title than it was a name, although this could have been the man's name. We don't know. Um, it says, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. Now, this is quite the hospitality. Uh, you may remember from chapter 27, you had well over a 100 men. In fact, you had well over 200 men that had crashed on the island, and Publius is taking it upon himself to put these men up and show them this hospitable kindness. Look at verse uh, number 8. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also, which had diseases in the island, came and were healed. The uh, sub-point here is Paul's passion. You know, I can tell you right now, after having studied the entire book of, of, of Acts and reading through the Pauline epistles, I can tell you what Paul's passion was. It was the souls of men. He cared deeply for other people. He gave his life. Uh, for the furtherance of the gospel and the betterment of his fellow man. And here he comes in and he sees uh, Publius' father laying sick of a fever, probably on his way to death. God had given Paul the apostolic gift of healing, and he uses this to heal Publius' father. Word gets around that uh, they have a, an apostle in their midst, a prophet in their midst, and the sick are brought from the clinics and hospitals of the island, and Paul heals every single one. Who's brought to him? Boy, that would have been great to see uh, that the clinics and hospital was just emptied out. Completely emptied out. There were no more uh, sick people with serious sicknesses on the island. Watch this now. Paul's passion led to his compassion. Paul's passion led to his compassion. Do your passions lead you to compassion for other people who are hurting? Uh, I know a younger version of myself would pull up to a traffic light or a stop sign and see a homeless person on the side of the road, and I would have a judgmental spirit in their direction. Boy, not anymore. Not anymore. I look out and see someone like that, and I think, boy, if I'd grown up in their shoes, and I'd grown up through their circumstances, I'd probably be where they are. And if they'd grown up through my shoes, they'd probably be where I am. You, you see, your passions ought to lead you to having compassion. Compassion. A deep, deep, deep love for others. Now, the Scriptures do not say this, but I think uh, after studying the life of Paul, we can assume safely that Paul used his apostolic gift to preach the gospel to anyone and everyone. He not only dealt with the physical uh, sickness, the physical malady. He dealt with their spiritual infirmity of sin and no doubt showed them the love of God and showed them a way to salvation. Paul used his gifts and his abilities to touch the lives of other people. Letter A, we see God's protection. Letter B, Paul's passion. Uh, letter C, notice the people's provision. The people's provision. Look at verse 10. Who also honored us with many honors and when we departed... They laded us with such things as were necessary. What happened here? Uh, the, the, um, uh, the springtime came. It was time for them to leave and embark on another ship and head, uh, head on with their journey to Rome from the island there. They had waited out the winter, uh, the remainder of the winter there on the island. And it was time for them to leave. 
and the barbarous people who were hospitable on the island, boy, they opened up uh, the multitude of goods they had and they gave to Paul and to his company to make sure they had plenty of uh, provision to make it the rest of their journey. Obviously, all of their things were lost in, in the shipwreck, and they had nothing. These people opened up their wallets, if you will, and they gave to Paul. Now, watch this, watch this. When we oft, oftentimes, when we are uh, busy, uh, busying ourselves with looking after the needs of others and giving ourselves toward the needs of others, and we do so freely, and we do so unassumingly, guess what? People will oftentimes give back to you. People who pinch and don't give get pinched by others. People who open up their wallet and give freely, people who are quick to look after the needs of others and love on them, boy, what you find is generosity breeds generosity. Stinginess breeds stinginess. What if Paul had looked at Publius' dad and said, well, wish I could help, but you know what? I got bit by a snake, so I'll be over here with my physician, Luke, getting, you know, getting this healed, and um, you know, don't bother me. What if Paul had said, you know what? I have this apostolic gift of healing, but I'm too busy. I'm too tired from the journey. I'm too frustrated with the shipwreck. I can't help. No, oh no, no. Paul was busy giving of himself day and night. And then when it came time for Paul's need to be filled, other people came pouring in. Are you someone who gives or are you someone who takes? Are you someone who gives or are you someone who takes? Because those who give uh, bountifully oftentimes are given to bountifully. We see Paul's ministry at Malta, number two, Paul's migration to Rome, Paul's migration to Rome. Look with me, and uh, Brother Joe, if you would throw that map up there on the screen for me, and uh, we're going to pick it up there in Malta, which is on the left side of the screen. Can you see there, Malta, the island of Malta? And as I read the passage there, uh, if you want to glance away from your Bible, you can follow the arrow as we make our way up here. It says, and after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the Isle whose sign was Castor and Pollux, and landing at Syracuse, we tarried there three days, and from thence we fetched a compass and came to Regium, and after one day the south wind blew, and we came the next day to uh, Put. Uh, that place, uh, where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appi Forum and the three taverns. Now, when I read taverns, I thought, did they go to get a drink? What's the word taverns thrown in here? The three taverns was the name of a city. So they went to Appi Forum, they went to the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God. And took courage. They're walking up the road now toward Rome. And uh, he sees these markers. He knows he's getting close. Verse 16, And when he came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. And so you see the journey there from Malta up uh, uh, to Syracuse and Regium. Now, it says that uh, in one of these stops, it says they were there seven days. Why were they there seven days? Because governmental uh, bureaucracy moved slow back then like it does now. Amen. And so they're there seven days waiting on governmental bureaucracy, probably. And they make their way up Regium to um, that city there in Rome. And then they walk from uh, Putelli, we'll call it, up toward Rome. And there they make their way uh, to Rome. And we know that Paul was put under house arrest. It's interesting in the city of Rome, they believe they have located most of the places where Paul would have been. And they even believe they have found the home where he lived. Do you have that picture of the, uh, the, ne the next picture? There it is right there. Uh, there is a cathedral in downtown Rome, okay? And that cathedral sits above what they believe to be the apartment where Paul was under house arrest. Uh, they are uh, they are pretty certain, can't prove it, pretty certain uh, that below that, and you say, well, why would it be below? Well, back then, that apartment would have been ground level, and because of time and things, uh, all of the ground level is now below the ground, and there's now a cathedral 
that sits above it. Show the footage there of that apartment. Um, they believe that this is the apartment. Uh, I dug deep and hard on YouTube to find this. Amen. Uh, uh, they believe this is the apartment where Paul dwelled during the two years. That artwork would have been put up afterwards. And so a looping video of it here, them coming down and looking around. All right. It'd be neat to find out that that was indeed where uh, he was kept. Uh, thank you. You can take that off. If that's the case, if that's the case, and that is where the books of, uh, for sure, we know. See, I've got them down here somewhere. Uh, the books of Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon would have been written from that apartment, maybe even others. And so we see the migration to Rome. Number three, we see Paul's message to the Jews. Paul's message to the Jews. Stay with me here. We're coming down the home stretch, and I have some things here that to you Bible students you'll really enjoy, some nuggets to offer you here in point three. So stay with me here. Letter A, notice his counsel with the Jewish leaders. His counsel with the Jewish leaders. Look at verse number 17. It says, And it came to pass that after three days Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And when they were come together... He said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, would have let me go, because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had ought to accuse my nation of. So here uh, Paul is in uh, under house arrest, probably chained to a soldier in an apartment in Rome, and the very first thing he does is call for the Jewish leaders of the synagogue in Rome to come and visit him there, and uh, he does not know what they know. Paul is being very careful here about what he does and doesn't say. Why was Paul being careful with his language? Well, he didn't want to upset the soldier he was chained to because um, that could, depending on what he said, it could indict himself before he stood before Caesar. And um, uh, furthermore, he doesn't know what the Jewish leaders of Rome would know. Um, he doesn't know what they've been told by the church in Jerusalem. Uh, he does not know what these Jewish leaders know, so he's being very careful not to upset them. Please understand that if Paul is going to go stand before Caesar and he's going to answer to these accusations of the Jews, then it very well could be that the Jews of Jerusalem have sent letters to the Jews at Rome to equip them to go stand before Nero or Caesar and accuse Paul there. And so he does not know what they know. He's choosing his words very carefully. Look at verse 20. For this cause, therefore, have I called for you to see you. And to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. And they said unto him, We neither received letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee, but we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest. For as concerning this sect, this Christian sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So come to find out, they didn't know a whole lot, or at least they pretended not to know much about Paul. Um, Jerusalem knew. Now, here's my speculation, all right? Jerusalem knew they did not have a solid legal case against Paul. They had already tried that legal case before Festus and then Felix and then Agrippa, and it had gone nowhere. It had fallen flat on its face. And in fact, Felix and Agrippa even said to each other, or rather, Festus and Agrippa said to each other, we don't even have a good reason to send him to Rome. This guy's done nothing worthy of death. And so the Jerusalem council knows we don't really have a case, and so it is my opinion they did not send any lawyers up to argue their case before Caesar or the courts of Caesar whatsoever. They knew they had a weak case. And uh, as far as the Christian church 
at Rome, it had burst onto the scene. Paul, several years prior, had written the book of Romans and sent that ahead, and it had been, copies of that had been made and, and given all over the place. And so the Jerusalem leaders in the synagogue, or rather the, the, the Jewish leaders in the synagogue at Rome, would have known about the Christians there, and they would not have been getting along based on what's written here in this passage. Again, look at me at verse 23. But we desire to hear of thee, Paul, what thou thinkest, For as concerning this sect, concerning these Christians, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Look down at verse 23. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophet, from morning uh, till evening. What happened here? Here Paul is under house arrest in this apartment and there was a day put on the calendar and the Jewish leaders from all over the known area, they descended on Paul's house arrest apartment and Paul had a one day Old Testament uh, messianic Jesus is the Messiah Bible conference at his um, at his apartment. And all the Jewish leaders came in and sat down and uh, Paul worked to convince them from morning to evening. He took the Old Testament scrolls and he worked to show these Jewish leaders that the Christ is Jesus and he had arrived. Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. Letter A, his counsel with the Jewish leaders. Letter B, notice the conversion of a few Jewish leaders. The conversion of a few Jewish leaders. Look at verse 24. And verse 25, the Bible says, And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they agreed not amongst themselves, they departed. We'll pick up the verse here in just a moment. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? Paul would go in and out of the synagogues in every city, and he would take a week or two, or a month or two or three, and he would work to convince those in the synagogue uh, that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus was the Messiah, or is the Messiah, and some would believe, but the rest would reject and, and would not. And this was the pattern. And, and then Paul would then go to the Gentiles. And here Paul has arrived at Rome. He's following the same pattern. He's following the same pattern. He's going to the Jews before, or rather, he's having the Jews come to him before he has the Gentiles come to him. Some of them believe but most of them do not. Letter A, we see his counsel with the Jewish leaders. Letter B, the conversion of a few Jewish leaders. Letter C, notice the condemnation of Jewish leadership. The condemnation of Jewish leadership. In my studies, I found what I'm about to share with you very, very, very interesting. I think those of you that enjoy the Bible will also find it interesting. Look at verse 25. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul had spoken one word, well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah. So these are Paul's parting words to the Jewish leaders of Rome. Okay, He says, well said the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers. Here he's quoting from the book of Isaiah. Look here. Saying, go unto this people and say, hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross. And their ears are dull of hearing. And their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. Take your Bibles to Isaiah 6 and Romans 11. Find your way to those two places, Isaiah 6. In Romans 11, this passage has been um, uh, hard to understand for many people for a long time. Why would God want to shut the eyes of his own people? Why would God want to shut uh, uh, or close down the hearts and ears of his own people? Why would he want them not to understand the truth? And many people have failed to understand this passage or have really wrestled with this passage. Uh, I think tonight you're going to see prophetically why this was given and, and, and why and how it was used. Look at Isaiah 6. Now, before we read um, the original giving of these, these verses, let me just sort of lay out the groundwork, lay out the uh, backstory here. Okay, you have the nation of Israel been divided up into the nor- ten tribes of the northern kingdom and the two tribes of the southern kingdom. You all with me? Everybody awake tonight? 
Okay, am I bore? I'm not. Hopefully, I'm not boring anyone with the Bible. If you're bored with the Bible, it's because you're boring, not because the Bible's boring. Amen. All right. Okay, I'm pick on you a little bit. Wake you up here. You have the ten northern tribes, the two southern tribes, and uh, the ten northern tribes were in utter rebellion against God. In fact, prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet had been sent to preach to them and get them back on track, and there was no getting them back on track. They were not going to repent and turn. And so God uh, calls Isaiah up into a vision in heaven in Isaiah chapter 6, and then he tells Isaiah, I want you to go and and, and preach for me, but understand, these people are not going to listen to you. Look at verse 9 and 10 of Isaiah 6. And he said, and again, this is speaking of the ten northern tribes, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the hearts of this people fat. That means pump them full of preaching. And make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. The nation of Israel had been preached to for centuries to repent and get things turned back around. In fact, after, uh, after Solomon, uh, the kingdom would be split under Rehoboam. Jeroboam would take the ten northern tribes. He would set up uh, two cities of idolatry there within uh, its, boundary, uh, its borders, and every single king of the ten northern tribes would do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. Every last one of them. Prophet after prophet after prophet would preach. And you know what? Isaiah, God is telling Isaiah here, they've had their chance. They did not listen, and I am through with them. I'm going to send you to preach to them, but your, your preaching is going to do nothing more now, after all these years, than shut their eyes, their ears, and their heart. And in short order, after that was given, they were carried away. Now, um, Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 is quoted several times by Jesus in the New Testament. And you know what he's telling the Pharisees? He's telling them, you've had your chance. You've heard and heard and heard and heard, and now I'm going to speak in riddles that you won't understand. Because Isaiah prophesied, and it's coming true of you as well, you're going to hear, but you're not going to hear. You're going to see, but you're not really going to see. You're going to have it in your heart, but you're not going to get it. And now Paul is using these same verses again here in Acts chapter 28 toward uh, those in Jerusalem. Look at Romans chapter 11 and verse 8. Paul lays out in the book of Romans uh, a case to be made that uh, it, the, uh, the uh, uh, leadership of the religion or of, of spirituality of the world is going to be taken off of the Jews and handed to the Gentiles. Look at Romans 11, look at verse 8. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes uh, that they should see, uh, not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. Here's what I think. Here's what I think. I think in Acts chapter 28, I think Paul looked at the Jewish leaders and he said, officially today, God is through using any form of Jewish leader to lead the world in religion and spirituality. He's done. The mantle is now being handed over to the Gentiles he is done. Listen, I had you here all day. I, could, uh, uh, I uh, expounded to you from the Scriptures. I showed you there is clearly a veil over your heart. A few of you got it. The rest of you rejected it. Go back with me to Acts chapter number 28 again and look at verse number 28. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. Hey, God's done with you, Jews. God's done with you, Jews. Uh, listen, it's being taken away, wrestled away from the Jews. It's being handed to the Gentiles, and the church era will be led by Gentiles. And boy, has that not been more true, has it not? Over the last 2,000 years, God has worked through the Gentiles to propagate the gospel, and the Jews have not quite gotten it. Now, or, or rather have uh, struggled um, uh, with it. Some Jews get saved, very few do. Now, I want to be clear here. If you've been attending on Wednesday nights, you know that I believe that God is not done with the Jews. God is not done with the Jews. In fact, uh, I still think the, the promise given to uh, Abraham back in Genesis 12, I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. Listen, you know Jews in your life, be nice to them. Amen? 
Bless them. Be kind to them. God's not done with the Jews. He's going to bring them back in and graft them back into His plan one day. And God is going to rule as a Jewish king one day from Jerusalem. But at this time, uh, in this place, in that apartment there in Rome, God, God was saying through Paul to the Jews, for now at least, God is done using you. Number four, and lastly, let's finish up the message in the book. Notice Paul's mission continued. Paul's mission continued. Look at verse 30. And look at verse 31. The Bible says, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house. And again, that was the one we looked at up on the screen a moment ago. And received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Um, when Luke lays down his pen, he leaves us with a very active Paul ministering to everyone who we could get to come and visit with him. And we know that uh, from these two years, he wrote the books of Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, and possibly other uh, books uh, were, of the Bible were written during this two-year period. What happened to Paul after the two years? Now, uh, the Bible doesn't say. Uh, it, it's possible that Luke died uh, during this two-year period, and so he finished this out and, and that, or shortly thereafter. We don't know why, but um, uh, we, we don't exactly know from a biblical standpoint what happened to Paul. However, many biblical historians believe, and I want to make sure I preface it with many biblical historians. I don't know what I believe, all right? Many biblical historians believe that Paul never actually faced charges that were raised up against him from the church of Jerusalem. Many people believe that Paul uh, was set free uh, and that Paul traveled to Spain and did ministry in modern-day Spain, did ministry work there and then made his way back over to Asia Minor and visited many of the churches where he planted. And you say, well, but didn't Paul die in Rome? What about 2 Timothy? We're, in fact, turn over to 2 Timothy 4. We're going to look at those verses to finish out the message. Well, as you know, if you know much about Roman history, Rome burned under Nero's uh, care. And um, many people believe it was an oil factory that exploded and caught fire. And, and, and back then they didn't have ways of confounding fires and they spread. And in fact, uh, Roman history books tell us that two of the precincts that did not burn uh, have the highest concentration of Christians living in them. And so Nero was getting blamed for having burned Rome. And so Nero looked for a scapegoat. And because those two uh, precincts were filled with Christians, he blamed the Christians for having burned Rome. And then he began to have Christians arrested and murdered or, or killed over that. And uh, Paul was the most prominent Christian of his day. And so Paul, many believe, had been set free, uh, is roaming around doing mission work again. Many believe that Paul was rearrested and brought back to Rome where he was placed uh, in prison. He was placed in the Mamertine prison. In fact, in Rome today, if you go there to visit, and I'd be curious, has anybody here ever been to Rome to see the Mamertine prison? Anybody here? It is a tourist attraction in Rome. Anybody here? You've been there, Brother John? You've been to the Mamertine prison. All right. Uh, so you, you verify this, and again, there's pictures and videos all over the internet of it. But uh, on the outside of the Mamertine prison, it has the name of Paul and Peter. Allegedly, Paul and Peter were both at some point locked up in this prison. And uh, you could go down and see where Paul was kept if he was indeed held in the Mamertine prison. And uh, he would have been down there chained to a, a wall down on the lower level and uh, probably naked and uh, would have been relied, relying on other people to bring him food uh, to eat before he would have stood before Nero where he would have had the execution order given for him to have his head chopped off. Second Timothy chapter 4, we find some of Paul's last words that he penned in Scripture. He said here, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. You know what Paul did? Paul lived with a single mind 
He was single-minded. All the way to the death, he lived by a philosophy of just shake it off and keep on going. Just shake it off and keep on going. Hey, listen, some of you may be sidelined and distracted and, and, and you have forgotten the purpose to which God has called you. Whether that's at home or here at church, listen, problems are going to come. I guarantee you, Satan's going to send everything your way. Just shake it off. And keep on going. And you know what? Paul did that all the way to the death until he came across that finish line and received his crown of righteousness. I don't know about you, but I want to be like Paul in that I want to cross that line knowing that I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Let's live with a just shake it off and keep on going attitude. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, sometimes life kicks us in the mouth. It can feel as though a venomous viper has bitten us and put its poison in our system. And, Lord, we can become poisonous and poisoned. And, Lord, we can lose track of the most important thing. Lord, double-mindedness is something we all battle from time to time. Lord, help us to lock eyes on the prize. Lock eyes on the finish line that you've called us to. Lord, may all the marriages in here be filled with husbands and wives that uh, push aside anything that keeps them from having a great marriage. Lord, may all the Christians in this room here, single and married alike, may we lock eyes on the Savior and may we be more in love with Jesus than we are anyone else. And Lord, as uh, things come along that detract and distract, may we shake them off and may we keep on going, Lord. God, help us to keep you in the forefront of our hearts and minds and live with pleasing you at the forefront of everything that we say and do. Lord, help our life to offer you praise in the way we live. In Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. If God's working on your heart tonight and you need to recommit to getting back on track and living for the Lord, why don't you come and bend a knee this evening and, 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 and do business with God. Pray and talk to God about that while the piano plays. Just shake it off. Keep on going. God has a plan for your life. It's not time to sit and sulk. It's time to stand up and conquer. It's time to keep our eyes on what God has for us and and to do it with our whole heart. way. Thank you so much for your attention this evening. One more song together, The Family of God. Let's sing it out tonight. Sing it with a smile on your face. Here we go. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. 
joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Well, thank you for being here tonight. Next week we'll be jumping into First Samuel. You want to get ahead? Uh, uh, chapter 15, 16, 17, right in there. And uh, we'll be looking at David as just a young, uh, young guy. And uh, we're not going to be going verse by verse through First and Second Samuel, but picking different passages and going through them verse by verse. But hop in there, start studying, start getting ready, get your heart excited, make sure you're in your place.